Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 16. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 16. We are continuing with our series of the life and ministry of David. And we're starting off this first part of the series doing going through 1 Samuel. And we see that as we go through 1 Samuel, it is a comparison between two people. Comparison between King Saul and the future King David. Future King David was a man after God's own heart. And on Wednesday night, we took special attention to explain how it is to have a heart for God. And that there are certain things to meditate and to think upon. That as David said in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto thee. And that we should desire that, to have our words and even our thoughts pleasing to God, acceptable unto God. Whereas King Saul, in contrast, was a man after the people's own heart. And because the people had a heart to reject God, it's no wonder that Saul himself had rejected God. And in this time in history where we are at, Saul has rejected the Lord twice. Twice he was disobedient to God. Twice, he, when he was confronted with it, he deflected and he blamed someone else rather than accepting the responsibility for himself and now we see some of the fallout and the consequences. One of the consequences was found earlier in 1 Samuel 7, uh, 16, where God anointed someone else to be king, the shepherd boy, King David. And remember that David was so overlooked that his own parents did not bring him in for Samuel to evaluate him. They said, he'll never be king. But God loves to use the overlooked things, the broken things, the things that no one will ever say could be used of God. God loves to use those things. And so with this, pick it up with me in 1 Samuel 16. And notice with me starting at verse number 14. 1 Samuel 16 in verse number 14, the word of God says this. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shall be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And David took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. 
And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when an evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase in 1 Samuel 16? 1 Samuel 16, and notice with me in verse number 18, something that was referred to, testified about David in the last part of the verse, the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. What a wonderful testimony that was that others said about David, the Lord is with him. And with the Lord's help, we want to hit this idea here and see how the Lord was with David during this time. The Lord was with him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would once again show yourself real. That you would make your presence manifest in our midst as we seek after you and desire to have you. That you would teach us the principles that you desire us to learn from this passage here. That you would help us to be able to sort through it, to be able to understand and apply it to our own lives. Lord, I'm asking now as we're hitting two principles and not just one, that we could hit both of them in the way that you want them to be hit. That we would have an understanding and be able to use both of them within our own life. Again, thank you. Fill me with your precious spirit again, that you would continue to guide and that you would help your own people through this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the beginning part of 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see the account of David being anointed as king. Remember that Samuel came and saw David and he poured oil and anointed on him and said, Guess what, David? You are the future king of Israel. Now after that, what would you expect to happen? Someone just announced that you're going to be the future king. You'd almost think, well, all right, you're going to be king. There's got to be some training to do. So you know what? We're going to enroll you in school. You know what? You're going to be future king, so we need to go ahead and prepare you. Let's go ahead and bring you to the palace, and let's go ahead and start teaching you all the court lingo and all the politics and all the things that go with court. You know what? You're supposed to be the future king. Let's go ahead and groom you, and let's go take you, and let's make you look like a king, and let's go dress you up. I know you're fixing to be a king. You're groomed to be the king, so let's do this and let's do that. Is that what happened? Nope, in fact, quite the opposite. Samuel came, anointed David, said, you're going to be the future king. God placed you in charge. See you later. And you know what David did? He went back to the fields and did what he always did. The day before, he's doing the same as he did the day after. He just went back to doing what he was supposed to do. You know that David in no time in this time from here when he was anointed until he became actual king of Israel, he did not lift a single finger to become king. At no time did he try to manipulate. Did he say, well, you know, I need to do this. What he did is he let God be God. You know, there's a principle found in the Bible when Jesus took his disciples and they're going to sail upon, uh, <clears throat> upon the lake. And Jesus says, boys, 
We're going to the other side. And so they get up on the ship and they start sailing. Now, most of the Jesus' disciples were professional fishermen. And so they were used to the seas. In fact, they were used to the Sea of Galilee. This is somewhere where they had sailed before. But something happened on the uh, Sea of Galilee and a great storm hit and the waves began to crash and the winds were blowing and they, the water kept coming over the sides, which if you're in a boat and the water's coming over the sides, it's not a good thing. And they began to panic and to freak out. And someone said, where's Jesus? Where's he at? And they go downstairs and Jesus is sleeping. And so I can imagine Peter, James, and John with a candle downstairs. And Jesus is sleeping and they're staring at him for a couple minutes saying, who's going to poke him? Who's going to wake him? It's your job. Come on. Finally, someone gets probably Peter because they pushed him up front. Peter, wake him up. And they shake Jesus. And they said, Jesus, do you not care that we perish? We're going to die. How would you like to be woken up to that? We're going to die. And Jesus looks, goes up, says, peace be still. The storms are calm. And he turns around, looks at the disciples and said, oh, ye of little faith. Where's your faith? He said, didn't I tell you where we're going to the other side? If I told you we're going to the other side, guess where we're going? To the other side. He says, how come you didn't believe me? How come you didn't trust me? How come you didn't have enough faith just to allow me to do what I was going to do? O ye of little faith. Now as we come to David, David's a little 16, 17-year-old shepherd boy. Big fanfare made in a private house. Samuel says, you're going to be king. Anointed with oil. Praise for him. God use this young man as a king. See you later. And he left. And David said, what do I do now? I go back to doing what I'm supposed to do. He didn't do a single thing. He didn't put out um, applications. I now apply to be the king. Will someone let me be the king one day? He didn't go hang around the court and say, well, you know, maybe I'll, uh, someone will notice me. He didn't uh, put out tapes and um, interview tapes and send it to all the royal people. You know, just keep me on file just in case the job opens up. He did what he was supposed to do and allowed God to put him where he was supposed to be. You know, this is a principle, what the underlying principle we're going to find in this passage here. But it's important to know that tomorrow is none of your business. All you're supposed to do is what you're supposed to do today. And God will bring you to where you're supposed to be if you allow him to. You know how much relief that is? You know how much pressure that's off of me? I don't have to force myself to be king. I can let God do it. When God says we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. No matter what storms hit, no matter what things may threaten. And all throughout the book of 1 Samuel from this point on, you're going to watch uh, David go through many storms. There are many times where it looks like it's going to be impossible for him to be king. But when God says you're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. And we watch this principle here of God's unconscious preparation. God knows how to get us from here to here without us helping. He is a big enough God to get us from here to here. 
because he knows exactly what he's doing. And God's way is always the best way. And so as we go through here, I want you to see this underlying principle as we also teach the basic principle that is also taught in here. But I want you to catch that undercurrent. I don't want you to miss it. As we examine this passage, let's see how God brought David from here to here by using circumstances inside of King Saul's life. The first thing I'd like to point out to you is Saul's troubled spirit. Saul's troubled spirit. Notice with me in verse number 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit of the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit of God troubleth him. Now let's pause here. Now, we don't want to make this say something it does not say, and we don't want to be supernatural or spooky with it. Let's cover the principle of what the Bible says. That first of all, the Bible says that there is a Holy Spirit of God who is God. The Bible also says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved and the Holy Spirit can be quenched. How do we quench the Spirit? By being disobedient to God. Was Saul disobedient to God? Yes. The Bible also says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. That means it's broken hearted. How can it be broken hearted? Well, in the context of Ephesians chapter 4, it is done by bitterness or unforgiveness. Does Saul have bitterness in his life? Absolutely. And you're going to watch it grow more and more and more. So Saul, who was disobedient to God and refused to get right. And instead of accept the blame for himself, he blamed God. He blamed Samuel. He blamed everyone else but him. And that grieved God's spirit. And so the Holy Spirit withdrew himself. Now, the good thing for us in the New Testament age is that once you are saved, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. But God's manifested spirit can be quenched. It, could be, it doesn't leave you nor forsake you. Meaning you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose the Holy Spirit. But you can make it so the Holy Spirit is quenched. It is grieved. And it withdraws the manifest presence in your life. So now the Holy Spirit is grieved. It is quenched. It has been removed from Saul at this time. And what happens is that an evil spirit from God came. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that he sent satanic attack? Well, let's cover again biblically and understand logically. The Bible says that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. That if you are saved, you have three enemies. The three enemies you have is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the world system that works against God. The system of, they, it's a total opposite direction. Well, is the world plaguing Saul at this time? No, it is not. Hollywood is not saying, Saul, turn away from God. Saul did that on his own. All right, so it's not the world. All right, then how about Satan? Is Satan the one that's prompting Saul? No, because Saul is already disobedient to God. He has already quenched God's spirit. He's already grieved God's spirit. Satan doesn't have to do anything. Saul's already done it on his own. Satan's job is to stop someone from serving God. Has Saul already successfully done that on his own? Absolutely. So what's the only enemy that's left? The flesh. You know when God's spirit is grieved and quenched? 
in your life. Remember that when the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you get the Holy Spirit of God. But you still have an old nature. You have the flesh and you have the Spirit that are constantly at war with each other. Well, if your flesh and your spirit are at war with each other, and the spirit is quenched, the spirit is grieved, the spirit is hurt, injured, it withdraws itself, it's not as manifest, what now has more authority in your life? Your flesh. Now, when God withdraws his spirit, he also withdraws his goodness. When God withdraws his spirit, he also withdraws his goodness. So now Saul's flesh, which is selfish and evil and envious and wicked, goes through its pity party phase. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll eat some worms. Woohoo. He's feeling sorry for himself. Things aren't working out the way that I want it. But you're the king. But yeah, but things are going good. And he's going through a depression. He's going through a place where his spirit is disquieted. And as we learn about Saul, he's a very passionate man. So his emotions are in control. And all of us know that your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do you know that your heart will lie to you? Your emotions will lie to you? And so if Saul has the spirit of God withdrawn from him and his flesh is in control... And he's already a passionate, emotional man. Do you not think that his emotions are stirred up and that's causing some problems? Absolutely. And by the way, as we describe this, you could probably think of times in your own life where your spirit was disquieted. Is it because it's satanic attack? No, it is spiritual warfare. It's that stupid, awful, nasty flesh that now is working overtime with nothing stopping it. And it's churring up emotions and feelings. I just don't feel like serving God. I just don't feel good. You're the king. Well, it's just, it's not right. And he's at the place where even his servants say, hey, there's something spiritually wrong with you. And you need to take care of it. They're recognizing there is something wrong with Saul. There's something wrong with it. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 15, that's I'm just giving as a reference. God is talking to, or David is talking, excuse me, God is talking to David about Saul. And he's referring to how God withdrew his mercy from Saul. You know, even so in a, cross-reference, again, we're trying to explain what happened to Saul. God withdrew his mercy from Saul. He withdrew his spirit, withdrew his goodness, withdrew his mercy. And now Saul's flesh is able to operate like its normal sinful self, and he is miserable. You know, the most miserable people out there are Christians who are not right with God. Because they could have so much more and their spirit inside of them knows it. But their flesh is in control and their flesh is not satisfying. And they get bitter and they get mad and he's grumpy and he's taking it out. We know that he's a passionate man, that he threatens to kill people. Remember that earlier in the chapter, Samuel was telling God that if I go anoint David, Saul will kill me if he finds out. So again, how would you like to be? Saul's servants when Saul's in a bad mood. I mean, they probably had to have enough courage and bravery just to say, hey, there's something wrong with you, king. Something spiritually wrong. You need to take care of it. Now, if they 
had enough bravery. What they should have said is you go get Samuel and you need to get right with Samuel. You need to get right with the preacher. Let him show you what the Bible says and you obey that. But they were probably not that brave because Saul probably would not have responded well. And so for self-preservation thing, have you ever had someone grumpy in your house and you know that there's certain things you don't say to them because they're not going to respond well? Maybe as a husband, let me tell you just a personal experience. I learned for my own wife that if she ever gets in such a mood that for me to take the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says, listen to it. She does not respond well to that. So if you could probably imagine, Saul is not going to respond well if someone says, you know, Saul, the Bible says you just need to get right. Probably not the best way. So they said, we got to start somewhere. We got to do something. We can't work in these conditions. So Saul, verse 16, let our Lord now command thy servants. They're like, all right, this has got to be your decision. You tell us, boss. That to go seek out a man who is cunning player on the harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit of God is upon thee. That he shall play with his hand and thou shall be well. See we see a principle here that is found throughout the Bible. That even these servants recognized. There is a power in godly music. There's a power in godly music. And if you ever want to get to the place where you know you have the poochy lip disease, and we all get to the place where the flesh is in control. We can admit that we're not all that spiritual, that we get to the place plenty of times. What is the answer? To sing. You say, but I don't feel like singing. That's when you need to sing the most. It may sound pitiful. Jesus loves, this is stupid. Jesus loves me, this I know. I can't believe I'm doing this. For the Bible tells me so. And you know what? If you sing it enough, you'll actually go, you know what? Jesus does love me, this I know. There's something about godly music that can settle a disquieted spirit. It could do something to the soul. And so they had enough sense. They understood the principle of the Bible. Now it doesn't get him right. It doesn't get rid of sin. But it takes care of that evil spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's withdrawn. The Holy Spirit is quenched. The Holy Spirit is grieved. But God created music. And there's principles of music. There's something about it that even if you're going through a depression. Something about godly music can help quiet it. You say, I know I need to get right, but I can't get right. Sing music and get to the place where you can get right. But there's something about music. There's something about godly music. Let me make sure I clarify. Godly music. Going back to your old rock and roll is not going to help you out. We're talking about godly music. There's something about it that gives... <laughs> That could help us. It could help strengthen the spirit in spiritual warfare. When our spirit is weak and it can't overcome the flesh. It needs a boost. It needs its spinach so pie pie could come out, right? It, it needs that help. And spirit can be fed by godly music. And we'll talk more about music some other time. But there is a principle that godly music feeds the spirit. And whichever one is fed the most, the spirit or the flesh, is what's going to win. So how is he going to conquer the flesh? By feeding the spirit until it is strong enough to overcome the flesh. 
This is what we have here as a principle here. So Saul said, go to his servants, provide me now a man who could play well and bring him to me. All right, guys, you said this is what to do. Go get me one. And so the search begins, which brings us to the second thing here. Not only Saul's troubled spirit, but we see David's timely testimony. David's timely testimony. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 18. In verse number 18, one of the servants comes forward. <laughs> Notice what it says. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now let's take a pause here. Here's a servant that comes up to Saul and says, I have seen a man. I know a man. I know a person by testimony. Let me tell you about this guy. He is someone who's cunning and playing. He's someone who's a mighty valiant man. He's a man of war. He's uh, prudent matters. He's a comely person. <clears throat> and the Lord is with him. He says, let me tell you about him. Now, how did the guy know about it? Was it because he just got through reading David's application? Did David send in a videotape of himself, a YouTube thing? And, you know, and he said, I just saw this great YouTube video. This is the guy we need to get in. Where did he see David at? Out in the fields. You know what David is doing? He's talking to God by himself. He doesn't realize people are watching him. And by the way, you don't realize that people are watching David's just doing his normal thing, talking to the God, <coughs> singing sims, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to himself. <clears throat> and David is out there just talking to God. God, I love you. And he sings this song, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He begins to sing these hymns that he wrote out in the middle of the field. And by his testimony, it's been proven. People say, you want to know about that shepherd boy? Notice with me in verse 18. And let's look at the testimony that was seen or people experienced David doing. And David's not advertising. Notice this, verse 18. <clears throat> then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing. Hey, let me tell you about this young man. He's out in the field. No one thinks he's listening. He's singing in the shower. And he's playing music. And just listening to it. God's with him. God's with him. He's not playing for the crowd. He's not booking uh, to go to the local uh, Bethlehem meeting, height, uh, meeting hall and playing concerts. He's just doing what he's supposed to do on a daily basis. And God is bringing others' attention to him. He's not trying to advertise, but he's playing to the Lord. He's just playing and singing songs. By the way, there's just something about old-fashioned kids outside just singing songs. We adults need to go back to doing that. When kids don't care who's looking and just to sing. And if you're off key, praise the Lord. But just singing unto the Lord, there's just something to it. Singing unto God 
and let it matter to God, not knowing who's looking. Now, luckily, David was a little bit more on key than I am. But he's out there and the guy says, this guy knows what he's doing. He's cunning and playing. He's proficient in playing. He's singing unto God. This is so, uh, someone who knows music. In addition, verse 18, and he's cunning and playing and he's a mighty valiant man. The mighty valiant man carries the idea that he's strong and brave. And the word valiant uh, often carries the idea of a veteran. In this case, it means that it's been proven. It's been put to the test. Anyone could look big and brave in words, but what happens when it's put to the test? When they go through the storms, do they go like the disciples? We're going to die! David had already had some experiences in his life that has proven that he was brave and courageous. That in the midst of a scary circumstance, he didn't become mousy and said, No, what are we going to do? And try to run, but had some courage and bravery saying, God's going to help me. God's going to be with me. And by the way, he wasn't advertising. May I put a, a, a little disclaimer here? If you have to tell someone how godly you are, you are not godly. If you have to tell people how humble you are, you're not humble. If you have to tell people how great you are, you're not great. You don't have to advertise it. You don't have to advertise God's with you if God's with you. People saw that on their own. He said, I saw this boy out here that he's mighty and valiant. Notice what else it said. And a man of war. Can you imagine a servant talking to, to King Saul who's already been in battles. He's already been in fights. He's already had enemy blood spilt. He's already lost men. He's what knows what it is. And this servant comes up and says, let me tell you about this, David. I've seen him. He didn't know that I knew about this, but he knows how to play. He's mighty and courageous. He's brave. He's a man of war. How many 17-year-olds could you say that? Especially in our society today. That's a man of war. What does that mean? Well, David has already gone through experience. You know what one of those experiences was? He's out there tending sheep, doing what he's supposed to do. And a bear comes and takes one of his lambs. And David says, nah, -uh, that's mine. And he goes chasing after that bear. How many of you would be willing to go face after that? Probably said, never mind, we'll just chalk that off as a loss. He went and chased him. And the bear's got the lamb in the mouth. And he runs up to the bear and says, listen here, you let him go. And the the bear stands up and he says, all right. And he grabs the bear and he stabs the bear and kills him. Now, I don't know if you remember, this is not like a little pet bear. Big bear. And David went right up to him and he killed him. This is a man of war. You think that would be enough, but a lion came. And the lion snatched it. And he said, no, we're not going to do this. And he chased after a lion. Now, again, lions may look cute. And they, there's a reason why there's huge fences over at the zoo. Because they are killers. And they are powerful. And David went after the lion, caught up to the lion, let my sheep go. The lion roared to scare him. He withstood the roar. By the way, there's a reason why a lion's roar is one of the most scary animal sounds in real life because there's something frightening to it and David withstood it grabbed it by its beard he says 
and stabbed it and killed it. No wonder the servant said, this is a man of war. He's not a wimp. He's not a wuss. He's not effeminate. He, he's someone who understands being in the battle. This is a man's man. He may be 17, but let me tell you, he's a man of war. He knows what it's like to be in a battle and not to cower down. He knows what it's like to stand up for something and have some integrity and have some character about him. This is someone here, King Saul, that could do you some good. Notice what else it said about David. It said that he was cunning and playing, a mighty valiant man, a man of war, but notice this, prudent in matters. Prudent in matters. The word prudent carries the idea of wisdom, that he's wise, he's discerning. And the word matters carries the idea of everyday life, but in specific, in words. You know, it's one thing to have someone who's big and brave, but not wise in words. David knew how to control his tongue. He was someone who knew what to say, when to say it, and when to keep his mouth shut. Now, this is a total package here. I mean, we know plenty of people that may look big and brave, but they can't control their mouth. Or we may have someone that can control their mouth, but they're not big and brave. They're mousy and they want to run and hide and there's no stand up to them. You can't count on them when trouble hits. David was everything. He was someone who knew how to play and play well and sing unto the Lord. He was someone who was wise in matters and wise with his lips. He was someone who had courage and bravery and put to the test. He was someone who was a man of war to stand up to a lion and a bear. And to be able to slay them and get his sheep back. This is someone that God was using. Notice this last thing that he said. Or this other thing. He says a comely person. The word comely carries the idea of countenance. In the context here, it's dealing with the idea that he's beautiful in the inside as well as out. You know, there's something to a beauty. Someone that has character, that has integrity, that looks beautiful. And it may not be the face, but there's something about them that's beautiful and comely. You like to be around those people. It's not someone that you're desiring in an inappropriate way, but there's something, there's an attractiveness that draws you to them because of their inner character. And he says he's a comely person. But then to wrap it up, to, to give the, most, the best qualification, and the Lord is with him. And the Lord is with him. You can tell that David had spent time with the Lord. He had spent time talking to God, being in God's word, meditating on God's word, that he had walked with God. There was, you could tell he had a walk with the Lord. And David didn't say, hey, I want to let you know, I'm a Bible scholar. He just was doing his normal activity and people noticed he had a walk with the Lord. There was something to it. That was... David's testimony at 17 years old, others can see that in his life. You know what God is doing? David didn't do a single thing to get to the temple, to get to be the crown, to get to the court. He just did his life and lived it on a daily basis. And God brought him from the fields to the court. 
Which brings us to the third thing. We saw Saul's troubled spirit and David's timely testimony. But then we see David's trusted position. David's trusted position. Notice as they bring him in now, verse 19. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. <laughs> Notice that. They all knew where David was going to be at. David wasn't in his room. David wasn't hanging out. He was where he was supposed to be. He was out with the sheep. King Saul said, Go get me David. He's with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass, laid him with bread and bottle wine and kid, and sent them by David to his soul. Uh, his father prepared him and said, all right, you're going to go approach the king. This is how you go approach the king. Here, go approach the king. Verse 21. And David came to Saul and stood before him. And he, Saul, loved him, David, greatly. And he, David, became Saul's armor bearer. Now, remember what I told you before is that the armor bearer was the one who carried the armor for the, um, the shield and all the stuff for the the warrior, so they would go out to the battlefield too, and they would hand the stuff to the uh, to the warrior. And for to be in that position, there's nothing like being a warrior and saying, "Squire, give me my sword," and look and say, "Where did he go?" You needed someone you knew who was going to be there with you and was going to cut and run. You know what that meant? Saul trusted David. He trusted David. He knew that David wasn't going to bail on him. That David, and David wasn't even going for the position of armor bearer. He was going for the position to play music. He was going as minstrel. But you know what God did? Is he put David in a position where he had to see battle. He put David in a position where he had to learn war. They had to practice all this stuff. He put him in a position where he could be trusted. Not by King Saul only, but the rest of the court saw David. They, God is the one who put him there. Notice, if you don't mind, as it goes on in verse 22. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. Verse 22 kind of gives the idea that David was in a probational period. You know, <laughs> he's there with Saul for a while, and hey, if this guy doesn't work out, we're sending him home. But after a while, he writes a letter to his dad and said, Hey, I want to keep David here. He's been a great blessing. You know, there's not a lot of teenagers, 17-year-olds, where you could say that with. Hey, I really had a good time with your teenager. Can I keep them for a while? Usually by the end of camp, we're like, send them home. Go back to parents. But there was something to David that even the king said, I enjoy him being here. He's a blessing to me. He's a help. He has character. He does what I've asked him to do. There's something about him. I want him to stay with me. I'd rather him be here. I'm not going to send him home. I've got another job with him. Isn't that a wonderful testimony of a teenager? Wonderful. Where did it come from? His personal daily walk with God. That paid off dividends later on. Notice in verse 23. And it came to pass when an evil spirit from God was upon Saul. That David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the evil spirit departed from him. So whenever Saul would have a bad day. David would play it and it calmed his spirit. Now, the first century historian Josephus, who, who covered a lot of history uh, in, the, in his day, he explained that when David played, he just didn't play music, but he would actually recite the very words of the Psalms. 
So David had already written some psalms. So he's playing Psalm 19. Let the meditation of my heart. I let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart uh, be pleasing to him. Remember in Psalm 19, uh, which we know has already been written at this time. Psalm 19 actually covers the idea of, of the scriptures. So this is something that David would play before Saul. He would say, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. He would sing a second verse to him. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. He would sing a third verse to him. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. This is something he would sing to Saul. He would sing the actual words of Scripture, the things that we now have as the Psalms. Remember, the Psalms were the hymn book for the ancient uh, Hebrew people. And David was one who wrote 74 of them. He already read a, wrote a couple of them before he became king. And these were the type of things he would play before Saul. He would actually sing scripture. And it was the scripture, the truth of God's word, along with the music, that settled Saul's spirit. It calmed his heart. Again, we have two principles that we're hitting here. First of all, the principle that God has created godly music to do something to settle our hearts, to settle our souls. And even in the times where we can't logically calm ourselves down, calm our emotions down. When our emotions, we know that we're wrong. I don't know, have you ever been there where you know, you, you know according to the Bible that it's not right, but you can't change the way that you feel. How do you fix that? Godly music. Godly music, sing a song. The words of scripture, these old fashioned hymns, these things, do something. And then once it's calm, then go back to the Bible and logic and take that course of action. Calm that spirit first so that way your emotions will listen and submit. But the second principle that we want, and the most important thing I want to hit to you today, is that David didn't lift a finger to get from there to there. God's the one who brought him. All David did was what he was supposed to do on a daily basis, and God put him in the right position. God knows what he's doing with you. And he knows how to get you from there to there. And it's not your business how you're supposed to get from there to there. It's your business to be in God's will right now. And as you're in God's will right now, he'll put you. He will put you in a way that you said, I, don't, I didn't see how this happened. Some people will sometimes say, how in the world did you get to this church? It was God. It was God that did it. 
How did God get you to where you're supposed to be? God did it. Can you trust God or do you feel like you have to manipulate and force and plan and work? Now, there's nothing wrong with planning, but it does when it goes outside of God's will. What is God's will? Just do what you're supposed to do today and God will make it so you go through. And when he tells you you're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. What a comforting thing that is that we don't have to force our way through the Christian life. We don't have to make it happen. We can just sit back, do what we're supposed to do, and trust that God will get through what he is supposed to do. Isn't that a wonderful God? God knows what he's doing. Can we trust him? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.